Shares down, bond yields down, the US dollar down. Yesterday's optimism was for one day only. Why? Well, some bad data from the United States and a warning from Snap that they won't meet expectations. That's got investors in a bit of a tizzy. And now there's expectations that rate hikes might be a little slower than expected. In the UK, the services PMI showed a sharp fall on the same day that they realised that they're going to face another 40% hike in their energy bills come October. So the question is being asked, how quickly can banks raise rates? Not that it's likely to deter the RBNZ this morning. A 50 basis point hike is expected. But then what? It's Wednesday, the 25th of May, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Yeah, well, it was too good to last, wasn't it? Shares are down today quite a bit after yesterday's rise. The S&P 500 is down uh, 0.9%. The Nasdaq down 2%. The Dow managing to show its uh, head just above the water in the last hour of trade, finishing 0.1% up. But in all those cases, uh, the uh, the indices were much lower uh, during the session. Down in Europe as well, the Eurostox 50 down 1.6%, 1.8% down for the DAX. No surprise then that bond yields are heading back down, down nine basis points for 10-year trade. Treasury yields down to 2.72% earlier, which is the lowest for this month, down eight for UK 10-year gilts and four or five basis points down across uh, much of the rest of Europe. Incidentally, two-year yields in the United States fell more than 11 basis points, down to 2.5% this morning. And Bitcoin, that well-known inflation hedge, uh, (laughs) trundling along at a level below half its November peak. Uh, The US dollar fell a bit further today, down another 0.3% on the DXY. Against that, the pound has fallen even further, losing 0.5%. 4%. The Aussie dollar is pretty flat at 71.1 US cents, and the Canadian dollar losing 0.3%. If that's the case, if they're all down, how can the US dollar be down as well, you ask? Well, it's because the euro has gained 0.4% this morning. We'll look at the reasons why today, and oil is pretty mixed, a 0.2% rise in Brent and 0.2% fall in WTI. Not much to speak of there. So there was a suggestion in uh, yesterday's podcast that the rise in shares might only last a day. Well, uh, Tapa Strickland is with me today from NAB in Sydney. Uh, tech stocks are bearing the brunt of it, aren't they? Some of this seems to be sparked by a statement from Snap, who do Snapchat. It said, since you issued guidance on April the 21st, uh, which was a month ago, uh, the macroeconomic environment has deteriorated further and faster than anticipated. As a result, we believe it's likely that we will report revenue and adjusted EBITDA below the low end of our Q2 2022 guidance range in a month. So a market seeing this as, uh, as a sign that in a month things have got that much worse, or is it just uh, Snap that are doing badly, or is it just the uh, the online advertising sector? I mean, what what can we read from all of this? Uh, good morning, Phil. Yes, another tumultuous night in terms of markets and really whipsaw action that we're seeing on on each day. So a fairly volatile trading mm. environment out there, and the Snap earnings that came out after the close yesterday is really just a reminder that the macro environment is changing and is changing quite rapidly here and changing quite rapidly for the tech sector in particular. And when you look at Snap's stock price, it's down, I think, 44% uh, from yesterday. So an incredible fall. But in terms of people extrapolating the story around Snap and to the wider tech sector, that is definitely happening. And a lot of Wall Street analysts are interpreting the results as a fairly ominous sign for ad spending across the board. And if you recall, that's how many parts of the tech sector 
uh, derive yeah, made their money. Yeah, like Google and, and Facebook. So fifty three billion off the value of Facebook written off uh, since that snap warning. So uh, yeah, it started uh, absolutely. I know, but but is that because of the economy or is it because advertising is going back to TV, for example? Because we've got all these new subscriber services which are also trying to embrace advertising as well. So that might actually be making the situation worse. I, perhaps, uh, perhaps. But I think it's more to do with the rebalancing that we're starting to see in many mm. parts of the economy, and we'll talk about it in the podcast in a little bit more detail. But you are getting some signs of um, some pivot away from from goods and uh, it's still unclear whether that's going towards services or not with inflation being so high real incomes are being squeezed and uh, that is definitely starting Mm. to be picked up in the earnings reports from a number of different retailers and i just want to give you one retail anecdote and that's from abercrombie and fitch and its shares fell the most in more than 20 years but the key thing for me was its inventory levels rose 45 percent year on year um, so they've got yeah. high inventory, disappointing sales. Um, so it does su- suggest the whole retail sector has been surprised by the pullback in spending. Right. So that is not supply chain, is it? That is demand falling away. Mm. And uh, and we and we saw that as well in the UK. I was going to talk about PMIs, but seeing as we're talking about, you know, it, it follows to talk about it now. The UK services PMI, big surprise, down from fifty eight point nine to fifty one point eight. That's got to be the uh, the cost of living squeeze as well, hasn't it? Oh, in- indeed. And when you look at the magnitude of the fall in that index, I think. I think it was the fourth largest on record and it was actually the largest when excluding the pandemic period and um, S&P who now uh, sponsor those PMIs um, highlight that the real concern for the services side of the economy is that real squeeze in real incomes that's going on at, at, at the moment and you'll have to say that squeeze is going to Continue the energy regulator Ofgem in the UK yeah. um, said that the retail price cap will be lifted by another 42% in October 2022. And that's after having had just had a similar rise last month to that. So, I mean, that that is really putting the squeeze on household, isn't it? So, can you actually see if, if you're getting that? So, I mean, that's an astronomical rise for, uh, for, for most people. So, yeah, you won't go and shop uh, or eat out in, in cafes as much as you used to. So, in that environment, can the Bank of England really... I mean, could they put rates up at all? Certainly, could they keep, you know, the the, the schedule that they were sort of, uh, I mean, they never really uh, articulated one fully, but you'd have to think they'd be looking at pulling that back, wouldn't you? Uh, well, at least markets have definitely pulled back a bit of pricing there. So I think uh, pricing for the BOE is fallen back by about eight basis points relative to, to the other day, but markets are still pricing in the, the BOE hiking rates multiple times. 13 basis points, two years down this yeah. morning. So that says something. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, the key really is, is about how does the squeeze on real incomes um, impact on the inflation picture? Mm. And it's still not clear yet. Um, theoretically, if you get a real income squeeze and demand falls and falls quite sharply, then that should um, see inflation ease. But at the moment, the supply chain problems that we are having is keeping inflation relatively high. Um, so I think the B- BOE is really forced to continue uh, hiking, probably hiking uh, a little bit slower than what the market is, is expecting until they start to see inflation coming back down. Yeah. But what about the United States then? Are we seeing uh, uh, today, are we seeing, uh, it feels like there's a bit more of an expectation that perhaps the Fed will go a bit bit slower. So, uh, for example, a couple of weeks ago, you know, Raphael Bostic was saying that uh, they could do two, maybe three 50 basis point hikes, then stopping for a while. 
now he's saying, well, you know, we should be careful. We, sh- we shouldn't be reckless. We should be mindful of the uncertain effects of the pandemic, the war in the Ukraine and supply constraints and what they have on the economic out- outlook and proceed carefully in tightening policy. Was So is that words like that and those numbers that we've been seeing today, was that enough to, to wind down market expectations a little bit today? Oh, definitely. You have seen markets pair back their expectations for hikes from the US Fed. I think uh, into the end of the year, about 183 basis points of tightening is now priced, and that's from 192 basis points of tightening on Friday. So it has fallen a little bit, but still relatively high there. Markets are still well priced for two consecutive 50 basis point moves in June and July. And I think that's what Bostic broadly supports as well. But the odds of another Mm. half point hike in the September meeting has fallen and and has fallen by quite a bit. So um, some moving back to perhaps 25 basis point moves thereafter and I think Bostick's comments are pretty interesting a lot of people have been asking just given the sell-off in risk assets where exactly is the Fed put how far do stocks need to fall and how far do credit spreads need to widen in order for the Fed to soften up on its on its language and you'd have to say Bostick's comments there suggest we may be starting to approach those kind of levels at least for one FOMC um, attendee but just worth noting Bostick is not a voter this year but what about, um, and, Bullard, uh, what about Bullard? Because, I mean, he was wanting 50 basis points at every meeting till the end of the year. He wanted to get up to 3.5%. I wonder if he's moderating his view now. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd have to say he has moderated a little bit. Um, he still wants to get up to that kind of 3% plus level, but then he has highlighted the potential for rates to fall in 23 and 24. So uh, it does mm. suggest there is some moderation starting to occur in the FOMC language, but uh, at least for the next two meetings, the Fed seems pretty committed to those two consecutive 50 basis point hikes. But that is perhaps one reason why we've seen um, yields uh, starting to consolidate. And indeed, when you look at the 10-year yield, it's down by around uh, what is it down by around nine basis points today to 2.76%. All right. Uh, and part of the reason for the need for caution, um, even before we've seen all those extra rises, new home sales in the US were down almost 17% month on month. The Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index was well down for May at minus nine. Uh, the, uh, the services index also fell. Uh, and PMIs, Still above 50, admittedly, but down for services and manufacturing in the US. You know, and that's with the, the interest rate at 1%. So if, if Bullard did get his way and it was 3.5% by the end of the year, imagine what, uh, what oh, that yes. could do. Definitely. Just worth noting those uh, new home sales, when you look at them in levels, they're at the lowest level since April uh, 2020. So it does suggest that a mm. lot of the pandemic increase that we did see associated with the stimulus and from the extraordinary low rates is is unwinding. Um, and you definitely have seen that in right. the retail anecdotes at, at, at the moment. So the key thing will really be is do those levels fall back below pre-pandemic levels? And that's where I think the Fed would start to be a little bit more concerned. But overwhelmingly at the moment, it's about the inflation picture. Yeah. And today, so- the inflation picture hasn't moderated Right. So what you're saying is if it just gets back to where we were, then we can just say it's a correction and not worry about it too much. But I mean, they, I mean, if interest rates do go up markedly, then you, that, that's the price you pay, isn't it? That you expect the house, mm. housing yep. sales are going to start to fall. Uh, we had the, uh, the CEO of the Bank of America talking at Davos and said, uh, you know, he was very bullish. U.S. consumers have the money to spend and will unlikely be deterred by inflation and economic gloom. Uh, so there we are. He's definitely a glass half full kind of guy, isn't he? Even if the glass is three quarters empty, he's still a glass half full kind of guy. So at least there's some people taking a positive spin on it all tapas. Oh, definitely. And those kind of comments echo JP Morgan's Dime, Dame, uh, J- Jamie Diamond's comments, I think on, on Monday, where he said um, that he thought there was some prospects for storm clouds to, to dissipate. Um, mm. So I think 
I think at least from the bank CEOs, they're they're, they're hopeful. Um, but it's just worth noting um, with the Fed's focus clearly on, on on inflation, a lot of people will be looking at whether those inflation prints start to moderate. And if they do, then um, th- that hope will build. But if for whatever reason those inflation uh, prints don't moderate in a large way, then the Fed's going to be forced to continue to, to hike rates. And that's continued to create concerns uh, that the Fed is going to overdo the tightening cycle, at least from a growth perspective. So those PMI numbers, uh, not just the United States but, and the UK, but they were sort of down in Europe as well, weren't they? In France, uh, it seems German manufacturing actually was the only, the only exception because el- elsewhere it was it was down for services and, and manufacturing. And manufacturing was only up ever so slightly in Germany. Uh, everywhere else, it's, it's fallen. Uh, generally, it's fallen below market expa- expectations, although, you know, it's still over 50, still an expansionary territory in every case. Oh, definitely. And you'd have to say, um, notwithstanding where market expectations were, the European might have been relatively resilient considering what has been going on in terms mm. of uh, Russia and, and Ukraine. So I don't think there's anything in the European eyes which really detract from the ECB embarking on um, a, uh, a more hawkish uh, pivot and uh, kind of indicating towards hikes in uh, starting from July. So why was the euro doing so well? I presume it was the euro that was uh, the main driver against a weaker US dollar because uh, all other major currencies, you know, uh, aren't showing the, the, the same movement. So what is it that's given the euro some strength overnight? Oh, it's, it's really interesting in terms of the US dollar. And I think it's been five, almost five consecutive days of the US dollar on the back foot here. So mm. um, it'll be interesting to watch whether this does start to signal a little bit of a turn in the US dollar, especially if those Fed rate hike expectations start to get moderated a little bit as um, at least US growth concerns build. Um, in terms of uh, the euro, it's really about what's going on with the ECB and um, more indications that the ECB is going to be embarking on a tightening cycle there. And there is some talk of the ECB potentially doing a 50 basis point hike. I think there's three or four ECB speakers who've come out in support of that, although ECB President Lagarde is firmly behind the 25 uh, basis point move in magnitude. And the other factor behind the weakness in the... Uh, in the US dollar has been uh, strength in non-US dollar risk havens. So you've actually seen the yen uh, rise and also the Swissy rise as well. So when you look at dollar yen, it's currently at uh, 126.87. Um, and so that's well away from that kind of 130 level that it was getting close to. And some of that reason is because of the fall in the US 10-year yield, um, reducing that that spread between um where the U.S. yield is and where uh, the Bank of Japan has the um, 10-year YCC. Mm, Yeah. All right. Makes a great deal of sense. So Christine Lagarde was on Bloomberg today. Uh, she said they shouldn't be with, rushed into withdrawing stimulus. I don't think anyone's expecting that to to, uh, to happen in a hurry, but also saying there's no consensus on a half-point rate hike. So, you know, be surprised if we do see that. But we probably will see it from the RBNZ this morning, uh, an, another 50 basis points. Is, th- is that going to be it for them for, the, for, the, then for a while, do you think? Um, so we'll be looking quite closely at the published rate track, and uh, our BNZ colleagues suggest that rate track is going to be consistent with with further 25 basis point increases at each of the next four meetings. So not not the end. But I think uh, the language that Adrian all uses um, will be quite important, just given the global growth headwinds that are starting to, to, to develop. And also some signs perhaps in the New Zealand economy that the tightening that we have seen is starting to see a bit more of an impact there. Uh, and uh, we'll, the, uh, and we'll also be looking quite closely at where the rate trajectory ends, and uh, it's likely that the terminal rate is still kind of around that four four percent level, probably around that kind of three and a half percent. Right now, a bit of uh, housing stuff today for Australia. First of all, we've got uh, the assistant governor at the RBA uh, talking about uh, housing in the endemic phase. 
at the uh, UDIA uh, conference. Uh, that's this morning. And then uh, we get construction work, the, the, the first of the, the partial GDP numbers this week. Uh, in, in, indeed. And it'll be interesting to see um, Dr. Ellis's comments on housing in the endemic phase, especially in the rising rate environment. And as we saw with that plunge in new home sales in the US, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether she is thinking um, similar trends could occur in Australia as the tightening cycle gets underway. And indeed, when you look at weekly uh, house prices in Australia, you are starting to see some uh, falls emerge uh, in Sydney and Melbourne as um, as the weeks and months progress there. Um, and then in terms of the construction partials, that will be looked at relatively closely by economists, but not likely by markets. And the main reason is, is at the moment, Q1 GDP forecasts for Australia are at relatively flat level. So NAB is currently penciling in a 0.2% Q and Q print for, for Q1. We've got a fairly large trade balance detraction. So we'll be looking at that construction data um, to come in on consensus. And if it doesn't, then there'll be some risk that um, to that G- GDP print. Right. We also get US uh, durable goods orders tonight as well. And the minutes of the FOMC meeting, that is going to be so out of date now. I mean, if the meeting was actually held last Friday, uh, the way we're going at the moment, <laughs> because the rhetoric does seem to keep changing, even if the meeting was last Friday, it would still be out of date. But, but anyway, I mean, it's certainly got a different feel to things the last couple of days, hasn't it? Uh, we'll leave it there for now, though. Good to talk, Tapas. We'll catch you again very soon. Thank you. Uh, cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. Well, will we see a share market rally tomorrow? Is it one day on, one day off? We'll find out tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm Phil Dobby for now. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.